Uh, we're continuing our studies in 2 Corinthians. So this is the third of three messages in one of the greatest passages on giving that we have in Scripture. There was a church in the West Indies. The church had a real need and they decided that they, they would meet that need by taking up an offering. So the congregation got together and they decided, seems like maybe they studied some of false teachings on 2 Corinthians because they decided that they were going to make three resolutions um, they, in the church. Here they would all give something. They would all give as God enabled them and they would all give willingly. Now, the way they went about taking up this offering, I'm not suggesting we do. This is common in some other countries. So after the service, what they would have, they'd have somebody up front with the table and then you conclude your worship service by bringing your offering up to the front. Uh, it seems a little uh, <laughs> manipulative to me. But, but the, they're going to do it on these three, these three principles. So people are coming up and they're giving their offering that they've agreed to on, in, this, in this church in the West Indies. And after many have come and given, a wealthy elderly man came forward. And this man was almost as rich as all the other people put together. He came up and he put a small silver coin on the table. The man collecting the offering said, no, take that back. That may be according to the first resolution, but it's not according to the second. Well, this man was offended, so he takes his money and goes back and sits at the back of the room in a great rage. One after another, the other church members are coming and they're all giving offerings. So the old wealthy man, feeling compelled by shame, comes back to the table, puts a very valuable piece of gold on the table and says, there, take that. The man taking the offering said, no, take that back. That may be according to the second uh, resolution, but it's not according to the third. So once again, he goes and he sits in his seat, waits for quite a while this time. And almost everybody else in the church is calm and given their offerings. And there's only a few people left in the room. Wealthy man comes back and this time with a smile on his face and he very willingly gives a large sum The man says, with the money, he says, very well, that is according to all three resolutions. Today we're going to continue our study in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on giving. And there are things that God teaches us about how He wants us to give. It's not just that we give, but how, in a way that honors Him. And this is one of the great passages that teaches us that. So we're going to ask two questions, answer them, and then we'll end with a word of thanks. The first question is, what kind of giving brings joy to God? What kind of giving brings joy to God? For that, we're going to skip down to verses 6 and 7, and then we'll loop back to the beginning of this passage a little bit later on. So there's two things that we find in these verses. What kind of giving does God want? First, God wants generous giving. God wants generous giving. Look at verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul just uses a farming illustration here. He says, okay, so imagine that there's a farmer and he has plenty of seed and he has plenty of lands. What would be that farmer's best strategy for a good crop? Would you, if you were advising this, this farmer on how he should farm, would you say to him, well, you know, you want to make sure you keep back supply. So, so plant as little seed as possible. <laughs> well, no, no farmer would do that because the, the idea is you, you plant it. You plant it and then you'll get, the re, you'll get the reward from it. And Paul is saying that, God is saying here that giving is like that. M- money that we give away 
to the Lord and to his people. Money that we give away is like a seed planted in the ground. And the wise course for a child of God is to plant as much seed as possible so that God can multiply it and bring us a harvest. So if you ask God what kind of giving he wants, he's going to say he wants generous giving. Secondly, God wants glad giving. God wants glad giving. Let's look in verse 7 for this principle. 9-7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This verse says a couple of things about this kind of glad giving that we're called to. First, the giving that God loves, the glad giving that God loves, it comes from a giver's own will. Do you see that in the verse? It says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And so in the church, the, the individual believer is to decide how much he is to give. It's, it's not to be mandated from above. The church isn't supposed to say you must give this amount or any other group. Each person. Right? And also see there the phrase not under compulsion. So each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Maybe some of you have a King James version in front of you. There it says, not of necessity. The idea is, no one should be giving to the Lord's work or to the Lord's people because they feel like they have to. So, two things about the glad giving that God loves from verse 7. One, it, it should come from the giver's own will. Secondly, it should be gladly given. There, there should be a certain attitude that we have as we come and we give to the Lord and His people and His work. This shows up in verse 7 in both kind of a negative phrasing and a positive phrasing. First, the, the negative, he says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly. The Greek literally says, each one must give not from sorrow, not from grief. So God doesn't want our giving to be unhappy and full of regret. But rather, he wants our giving to be cheerful. He wants us to be honestly glad to contribute. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, seeing those principles there, God wants our giving to be generous and glad. Now, how do we do that? Right? I mean, I, I know how to force myself to do things against my will, but how do I go about generously, gladly giving to the Lord's work? That's a little bit more of a challenge. And so as we walk through this passage, Paul's going to give us a couple of, maybe you could call them prerequisites for generous, glad givings? Or, or how can I do this? Really be glad and generous in my giving to the Lord and to His work. There's two things that Paul will say. The first one is this. So 2A on your sheets. How can a believer give this way generously, gladly? You need to plan your giving ahead of time. To give generously and gladly, one principle is plan your giving ahead of time. Now, this is, I'm not trying to make this a rule. Sometimes, as you walk through your life, you'll just run across a situation and God will lay it right there on your heart. I should give to this person or to this need. And that may be the Holy Spirit saying do it, and so do it, right? Um, we're not saying don't spontaneously give. But as we'll see in our passage today, sometimes lack of planning ahead keeps us from giving generously or it keeps us from giving gladly. Planning ahead is an important part of our giving. Okay, now in, we're going to see that in the first five verses. Uh, let me remind you what's going on. Maybe not all of you have been here for our study. So what's happening here, Paul is on his third missionary journey, and as he's going back through all these churches that he has planted, these Gentile churches, 
He has told them ahead of time he's going to be collecting an offering, um, a financial offering to take down to the Jewish church down in Jerusalem because the, the believers down there are impoverished. And so he's collecting this money. Right now, as you write 2 Corinthians, Paul is up here in Macedonia and he's about to come to Corinth in Achaia where, he's, where the believers are. And so Paul here in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 5, he kind of goes ahead and says out loud something that's in his heart. And he's got to worry about them. Let's look at there with me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, it is... Surpoof, surp- <laughs> I need Michael to come back up. I was worrying about this the whole time. Sur- yeah, it's, it's unnecessarily over the top. To, for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Okay, so what Paul starts off by saying is, hey, guys, I know... I know I don't need to say anything else to you about this offering. Right? You, you know about it and, and I, I'm up here in Macedonia and, and you're ready to give. I know you are. And so I've been telling these people that you're ready and your readiness to give has stirred them up to give generously. And so I, I don't need to say anything else. But <laughs> then he does say something else. And what it is, he's got a, he's got a worry on his heart. His worry is that he's going to show up there after telling the Macedonians that they were ready and they're not going to be ready. And then because everyone's going to be scurrying around at the last minute to get this gift going, the, the gift is going to be too small. It's not going to be generous. And that maybe, maybe because you're doing it at the last minute, people's hearts aren't going to be in it. So he, he's been telling everybody they're ready, but are they? <laughs> so I don't need to say anything, but let me say this. So come to chapter 9, verse 3. He says, but I am sending the brothers, right? So he's, he sent the three guys, we looked at this last week, Titus and his two unnamed friends ahead of him. They're bringing this letter to kind of prep the offering for when he gets there. I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. So what Paul is saying here is that lack of preparation can get in the way of a generous and willing gift. So to give generously and gladly, we should plan our giving ahead of time. I think this is an important principle for us. It also shows up in verse 7. If you look there, we read this before, but look, 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So what's being taught there is that how should the giving happen? It's like they know about the need and then each person goes home and they make a decision in, in their heart, between them and God. They're like, well, here's the need, the people in Jerusalem, and here's the money that I have, and how much would you have me to give? So each person is deciding ahead of time. So then when they come to give, when they come to the, to the worship service on Sunday, they, they, they already know. Right? They, they plan this ahead of time and it enables them to give generously. The book of Proverbs gives us wisdom. It's timeless wisdom and also wisdom on giving. Look here. Uh, oh, I don't have this verse on the screen. Uh, let me read it to you. This is Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. 
It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your produce. So in uh, Old Testament times, for godly people that love the Lord, one of the things they would do to give is they would give first fruits. They'd start their harvest and as they're bringing the harvest, they just started the harvest and, the, and sometimes the first part that would come in would be the best part. And what they would do is they would take that part of the harvest that came in first and they would set it aside. This part of the harvest is for the Lord. Even before they had finished the rest of the harvest. And to do that, it involves some risk, right? Because maybe there's going to be some kind of weather event or maybe a health thing's going to come up and I'm not going to be able to finish. Like, how do I really know that if I set this apart for the Lord that he's going to bring me the rest of the harvest? I don't. I'm trusting the Lord. And so the Jews would do this. They would, they would honor the Lord by giving the first part of their harvest. It's just a way of saying, I trust you. And then the promise to them in Proverbs was, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God will take care of you. You put me first, even in your giving. I think this is a good principle for us to consider today. A lot of us get paid on a regular basis, right? Maybe, what, every two weeks or every month or something, you get a regular paycheck coming in. Um, and what we're tempted to do is, I want to give generously to the Lord. And so when I get to the end of that pay period, I'm going to give generously from what's left. But if, if you're like me, uh, when I come to the end of the pay period, there's not a lot left, <laughs> right? Because there's always something else I want, you know. I want a Stanley mug. I, you know, I, there's, there's things I just think are really cool. And <laughs> if you ladies are going to retreat, you'll get that joke. So, uh, so if I'm going to give generously and I'm going to give gladly, Paul says, listen, I... I didn't plan ahead of time. So really, this first fruits principle, I think, is wise. Let's say, okay, Lord, listen, when I first get paid, I'm going to give generously whatever I decided right away. And then I'm going to trust. I don't know what's going to happen in these next two weeks or these months, but I'm going to, I'm going to trust that from here, when I give you the first, until then, you're going to meet all my needs. And that kind of a faith, uh, God says he'll honor, and uh, we can trust him to take care of us. So, how do you give generously and gladly? One principle that we see in Paul's example to, to the Corinthians is to plan your giving ahead of time. Second principle, and this is where we'll spend most of our time because this is where Paul does, is this. To give generously, to give gladly, you need to believe what God promises you. To give generously and gladly, it's a matter of faith. And you gotta, you're not going to be able to give gladly and generously unless you believe what God promises you about giving. And so we'll see here six promises that God makes to those who generously, gladly give. The first one is this. It's number one. The more generously you give, the more generously he will reward you. The more generously you give, the more generously he will reward you. See there in verse six, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We don't just find this here in Scripture. Jesus himself gave the same principle about giving. Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The more generously you give, the more generously God will reward you. That biblical principle is often twisted by false teachers. 
We want to watch out for this. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. There's a man, uh, previous generation. His name was David Epley. Or David Epley mailed out bars of prayer-blessed soap. Okay, And with the bar of prayer-blessed soap, there were written instructions as to how you could use it to get miracles from God. Well, you could either, with this soap, get a miracle of healing or a money miracle. There were instructions specifically about how to use the prayer-blessed soap to get a money miracle. And I, I wonder how much soap there is. Can I get healing and money? I don't know. But there's, there's the money miracle instructions. He says, now, after you wash the poverty from your hands, take out the largest bill or check you have. That $150 or $20 bill. Hold it in your clean hands and say, in Jesus' name, I dedicate this gift to God's work and expect a miracle return of money. Of course, for the money miracle to work, you have to, you have to send that check to David Epley's ministry. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with this idea? Because we just read the biblical principle is if you give more generously, God will reward you more generously. What's, what's wrong with what David Epley and other blasphemers preach? There's a couple of things wrong with it. One, the reward that God gives is not always money. The reward that he gives is not always money. And even if it is money, if God does send you money back because you gave money away, he's not doing so to satisfy your selfish desire to be rich and comfortable. We'll talk about that more as we walk through the text. But God does make promises to the generous and glad giver. And and it's a real promise you can count on. He says if you give more generously, he's going to reward you more generously for your giving. Okay, second promise we find in the text is... God himself will take a great delight in you. If you generously and gladly give, you know that God himself will take great delight in you. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And now if you're God's child... God already loves you. I'm not saying you have to give generously before God's going to love you as a child. That's not how that works. We love because he first loved us. But a lot of us in this room are parents and we know how this is. So you have children and you love them all, all the time. Sometimes you love them and they're making bad choices and it kind of tears at your heart. You love them. Other times you love them and you see them making great choices, right? going to college and choosing a good church to go to and, and giving, uh, give, giving God first place in their life and making, trusting Him. And, and you see that in your children and, you, I mean, you already love them, but, but you, you see that and it thrills your heart. Right? There's a delight. <laughs> I love that kid. Look at what he's doing. Right? And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, listen, I, when I see my children generously, gladly giving, I love them. And, and for me, like, what motivation do I need you know, if, if God says, ha, if I see you generously, gladly giving, it just, it makes me love you in a special way. I mean, I, I want to have this kind of relationship with God where he sees me and I bring delight to his heart. So, and that's a promise. God says, if you're generous and glad and you're giving, God himself will take great delight in you. Okay, promise number three is this. If you generously, gladly give, God will see to it that you have all you need to keep on giving. 
If you generously, gladly give, God will see to it that you have all you need to keep on giving. Okay. If I think about why do I not give? Uh, what, what comes to mind? Why am I hesitant to want to give away resources that I have in my possession? Maybe sometimes it's just because I'm selfish and I want to have all the good things. <laughs> sometimes, though, I think that it's, it's, it's kind of a fear of the future, right? Because, I, I mean, I have resources now, more than I need. I know I have more than I need. And so, but I don't know what problems are going to come tomorrow. You know, I don't have my, my retirement all set, uh, all set up. I, I, how am I going to pay for my kids' college? Um, what, what happens if we come into some kind of emergency? And so, so what comes in my mind is, well, I have these resources and I don't know what's coming tomorrow. And so to make sure I'm going to be okay, I better keep what I have. And anyway, we're not saying here that God's against saving or planning for the future or saving for retirement. That's not what we're saying. But there's this fear that keeps me from giving generously. And the fear is, am I going to be okay? I better keep the money. And God answers that fear specifically in verse 8. Look, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He says, and God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's like the Lord says, okay, I'm asking you to give. And you say, well, boy, how do I know I'm going to be Okay. And the Lord's answer is, well, I'm able. I'm able to take care of you. And then we say, well, God, God uh, yeah, I believe you're able, but, but I, I, I mean, I, I have a lot of needs. <laughs> so are you able to meet, like, are you going to meet all those needs? Or? And then in this verse, verse 8, God says, I'm able. And then five times he says, I'm able to meet all your needs. Five times in the verse. It, it's like, God, can you... What about this or what about that? Or what if this happens? And God says, I'm going to meet I'm with all sufficiency. And he says, I'm going to meet all, 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 all of your needs. You trust me. In fact, God says more than that in verse 8. He doesn't just say he's going to meet all of our needs so that we have all sufficiency, which he does. But he also says that he's going to give us beyond what we need. The, his supply for us will be abounding. Do you see? Verse 8 and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So abounding is like to what you need plus more than you need. Okay, also in verse 8, we pick up something important about the purpose that God gives for meeting our needs. Okay, so here's the promise is, if I give generously, God is going to make sure that my needs are met. Well, why, why does God send back those blessings to me? The answer that we find in this verse and then in the verses that follows is that the reason that God keeps supplying all my needs is so that I can keep on giving. Look in verse 8. See there at the end of the verse, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you look down at verses 10 and 11, we find this idea again that the reason God keeps blessing us is so we can keep giving. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, that's God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase 
the harvest of your righteousness, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I think this is part of what's wrong with the false teacher's idea. There are actually some people that say, in these word, faith, prosperity, gospel movements, they literally say, okay, you're little gods. And as a little god, you deserve the blessings that gods deserve. And so you give and God is, and you just declare (laughs) who you are and your words are powerful and you just declare things. God's going to send me money and he has to because the laws of the universe work so they're above God. And so you're going to get these blessings. And then the idea is I get to keep it because I'm a little God and I deserve this. But we're, we're totally missing the, like, who am I and who is God? Uh, okay, so if I have this idea that um, I'm going to give and God's going to give back to me so that I can kind of be like a lake of God's blessings, right? He keeps sending his blessings and I put up a dam, a really big dam, and I keep the blessings. And he's just, he keeps blessing me and I'm keeping them and I send some every once in a while, you know. But I, I've been getting more and more and more blessings at this lake of blessings. That is that's unbiblical thinking. Rather, what God wants us to be is, is a, a hose of his blessings. So he turns on the spigot and he sends blessings our way so that we can pass those on to other people. And we're like, turn this thing on, spray, right? And we're, we're, we're sending God's blessings out. And, and as I keep on sharing and giving his blessings that he's given to me, he keeps on providing. And so at any time in my life, as he keeps giving and I keep providing, And I keep giving and he keeps providing. At any time in my life, I can look at the water that's in the hose and it's enough for me. He's not going to turn off the water, but he's not giving me all these blessings so I can keep them. He loves that I'm sharing it and so he's going to keep them coming. So I keep blessing people that he wants to give to. He provides meat, all of my needs, so that I can be generous in every way. One of my heroes is Robert Chapman. Robert Chapman lived this way. He was constantly giving, constantly trusting God to supply his needs. Here's a story from his life. One time Chapman was traveling with a man named George Fisher. They were ready to leave a conference that they were at, but neither of them had any money. Chapman had been given some money at the conference, but he came across somebody he thought needed it more and he gave it to them. (laughs) So they're on their way to the railroad station and Fisher reminds Chapman that they have no money. Mr. Chapman replied, To whom does the money belong and the cattle upon a thousand hills? So Mr. Fisher's like, okay. (laughs) They reach the station. uh, A man on an arriving train recognizes Chapman, hurries over, pulls out of his pocket a five-pound note and says, oh, I've had this in my pocket all this time. I'm so glad I met you. And he gets back on the train to go away. Uh, A few moments later, Chapman turns to his companion and he says, to whom does the money belong? See, we can trust God if we give generously. He's provided. He's going to meet our needs. Okay, so promise number three that God makes to a generous, glad givers is that God is going to give you all you need to keep on giving. Fourthly, to generous, glad givers, God promises that you will have an everlasting legacy. God promises to those who generously, gladly give that you will have an everlasting legacy. Look in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 9. Here, Paul's going to quote from the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 9. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. 
Now, who is being described in verse 9? It says, His righteousness endures forever. The commentators I read were kind of divided on this. Some people say, well, that's the Lord. It's obviously the Lord's righteousness endures forever. But I'm going to go back and read the, the verse that he's quoting. So stick a finger here. We're going to go to Psalms. That verse that he's quoting is actually out of Psalm 112, but we're going to start in 111. Okay, so turn back with me. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. You flip around, you can't miss it. Psalm 111, and we're going to look at verse 2. Oh, I, for reference, I'll put it on the screen. This is the verse that Paul quotes. We're looking for it in, in Psalm 112. First, we're looking in Psalm 111, and we're going to find a similar phrase. Look at Psalm 111, 2. It says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. So clearly here, when it says in Psalm 111, when it says His righteousness endures forever, it's talking about God. And how does God's righteousness endure forever? Part of it is His His works will always be remembered. So there will never be a time when God is not being praised for His glorious work of creation. There's never going to be a time when God is not being praised for sending His Son, Jesus Christ, for us sinners. Right? God has done mighty works and His righteousness endures forever. We're going to be praising Him for it forever. Okay, now go to Psalm 112. What we're going to find in Psalm 112 is that some of what is true of God is also true of God's child. So Psalm 112, and this is the psalm that Paul is quoting, is a description of a godly person. It's a beautiful description. We're going to read the whole thing. Psalm 112. Look for the verse that Paul quotes. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. And blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph upon his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. There's a verse that Paul's quoting. Who's Paul describing? He's describing a godly person here. Verse 10, the contrast with the wicked man. Verse 10, the wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So what's Paul saying by quoting Psalm 112.9? What he's saying is, when you generously give, you establish for yourself an eternal legacy that will never fade away. Generous givers will be remembered forever. You say, well, how how would that be? Well, one thing is, in eternity, God is never going to forget. So you're here in time and you see somebody that has a need and you generously give to them, trusting God to provide for you. God isn't going to forget. In eternity, He will remember that act that you did and reward you for it. That's pretty awesome. Also, uh, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth 
so then when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. You get what this is saying? So down here on earth, sometime there's a guy who has a need, another Christian, and you, get, you help him with his need. And then someday, when money doesn't do any good anymore, and you're in eternity, this guy's going to be like, oh, hey, you come over to my house, right? my eternal dwelling. Come over. We are friends. And how did you get to be friends? Well, you helped him down here with money. Like, you want to have, what else are you going to do with your money here that's going to have that long of a lasting effect? So Paul says, the, in chapter 12, verse or chapter 9, 9, he says he is about the righteous person. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So, well did Jim Elliot say, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you give your resources away, gladly and generously, you gain an everlasting legacy, everlasting friends. Okay, go back with me to 2 Corinthians 9. That was promise number four that God gives to glad, generous givers, that you have an everlasting legacy. Number five, those who give generously and gladly will cause others to praise God. You'll cause others to praise God. Now, if you were to ask me, Mike, what do you live for? What's the purpose of your life? My answer is going to be, I, I, just, I want God to be glorified. That's what I'm living for. I, I want God to be glorified in my life. Okay? If, is that you? Is that what you're living for? You want God to be glorified? If so, what's one way for that to happen? Well, a sure way for that to happen is find another Christian who's got need and, and give them what they need. You know what's going to happen? That person is going to say, Oh, God, thank you for providing for me. And so I've brought glory to God by giving. So in our passage here, your giving will cause others to praise God. Paul kind of breaks this down in a couple of things. First, he says, they're gonna, if you give to other people in need, they're going to praise God for their needs being met. They'll praise God for their needs being met. Look, that's from verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the, this ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Uh, this week, well, you remember, let's see, two years ago, um, the war in Ukraine started. It's almost two years exactly. And Lamar's Bible Church, uh, we were led to send money over there. And so we picked three Christian organizations and people in the church gave generously. And we sent thousands of dollars to various organizations, uh, churches, to help with the ministry. Um, one of the organizations was Samaritan's Purse. So this week I was gone for lunch. And when I came back for lunch, there was this that I found on my desk. And there's a handwritten note from a Samaritan's Purse representative. And he talks about their ministry to the church over there, working with the church. He says, I hope you're encouraged to see how God is at work in the midst of this crisis. Thank you and the Lamar's Bible Church for your partnership in the gospel. So then I was looking at their little report. I'll post it if you want to, if you're interested in it. But like, so our gift helped with this. They gave out 235 million pounds of food, um, 24 million gallons of drinking water, 461,000 Bibles. And so they're giving thanks to God. And we got to be part of why that happened. And so I don't read this and think, boy, I wish we wouldn't have sent that over there, right? You're just you're glad that we were able to be part of that. So, um, giving will cause others to praise God because their needs are met. 
But then Paul goes a little deeper. It's letter B on your sheets. Uh, usually I give you blanks to fill in. This time I gave you a blank to cross out. <laughs> okay, so what, it's, what B is supposed to say is, others will give praise to God for the power of the gospel that they see in you. See, so cross out the blank and a couple more words and you get to that. For the power of the gospel that they see in you. That comes from verse 13. Look there at verse 13 with me. He says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Okay, verse 13, he uses a lot of words, but basically he's saying this. Your giving has provided proof of the reality of your love for God. And these believers down in Jerusalem, they're going to receive this gift. And not only are they going to be encouraged because their, their needs are met, but they're going to be like, you know what? God's doing a work up there amongst those Gentiles. Like you can tell, obviously they love the Lord because we haven't even met them and they're sending money to help us. And it shows that they really have come to know God. That there's a submission to God that's visible in their lives. And so, if you're giving, it's going to give other people evidence that the gospel is powerful. Because they'll see it in you and they'll praise God for it. And I'd love to have people say that of me. Like, the gospel's powerful. Look what it's done for him. Right? Right? So there's that. There's a sixth promise that we find in this passage. Not only will your giving cause others to praise God, but your giving will cause others to love and pray for you. Your giving will cause others to love and pray for you. That comes from verse 14. Look there. 9.14 While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Okay, now, Jesus teaches us that when we give to the poor, we should not let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. Right? So we're supposed to give in secret. It, I shouldn't ever be giving because I want that person's praise or their thanks. Right? That shouldn't be my motive. But really, if you think of the way these Corinthians were giving to the Jewish church, they, they weren't ever going to meet. Like they live in different parts of the Roman Empire. It's, it's, and, and these Jewish believers, they're not ever going to they're probably not ever going to make it up to Philippi to say, hey, thank you for that gift. It helped me in this way. Like, it's All the Jewish believers are going to know down there is that, well, there's some, there's some Christians up there in Macedonia and Achaia that sent this, and it's what I need. But you think about what's going to happen when this happens. So say there's a, there's a widow, and we know about the widows in Jerusalem and the troubles they were going through. So there's a, there's a widow, and she doesn't have enough. And then Paul shows up with this gift, and so there's, there's money that comes her way. What's this widow going to do? She's going to get down on her knees in her house, and she's going to say, Oh, God, I don't know who sent this, but there's some Christian that sent this money, and so I thank you for it. And God, will you bless them? <laughs> will you bless those Christians? Will you give them what they need and give them your rewards because of how they've helped me in this way? Right? And she doesn't even know them, but she loves them, and she longs for them. And that's... That's worth something, right? And so your giving is going to cause others to love and pray for you. I mean, you look at these things and um, but it seems pretty compelling. <laughs> like, why should I give generously and gladly? Well, boy, if I do, God says he's going to reward me. The more generously I give, he's going to take delight in me. I'm, I'm going to have all I need to keep on giving. I'm going to have an everlasting legacy. I'm going to, others will praise God for what they see in me and they'll pray for me. 
That's pretty significant. Okay, now, now Paul has spent the last two chapters talking about giving. And he's got one verse left. So all of chapter 8 and 9 is about giving. What's he going to do for his conclusion? What's the last thing you should say after you've written two chapters on you should give? Here's what Paul does. Look at chapter 9, verse 15. Chapter 9, verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Think about that. Now, what is, what is God's inexpressible gift? I feel like the answer is pretty obvious. It's Jesus Christ, right? That He's given to us. If you go back to chapter 8, verse 9, He just said that. He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And so as Paul's concluding this saying, hey, you ought to give, he takes a step back and he says, you know what? What we ought to do, we ought to give thanks to God for what he's given to us. And so here he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift or inexpressible gift. In the Greek, that word inexpressible, it's the first time that anyone's ever found that word used. And so Greek scholars think that what happened is that Paul just made this word up right here. No one, everybody else that uses it afterwards is quoting him. So it seems as if Paul, he's writing this letter and he's thinking about, well, God has given us Jesus Christ, right? And I, I sh- should be God's enemy, but I am God's child. And I, I should be facing God's wrath, but I, He loves me. And all my needs He's met. And, and so all comes, it all comes through Jesus. And so he's trying to come up with a word to describe this gift. And he's casting about for one. And so what he does is he takes three other Greek words that he knows... There's a word for description and there's a word for uh, not and there's a word for quite able to be. <laughs> so he just takes these words and he just pushes them together and he makes up a word and he says, thank be to God for his gift that is so great it's well beyond any description. And that's true, right? And so we back up. Why would I want to give? Well, it's because Christ is first given to me. That, that's the, the basis of our whole relationship with God and any giving we do just flows out of that thanks be to God for his indescribable gift that I have already received before I give a penny let's pray God thank you so much for this we we need this teaching God it's easy for us to become materialistic and a lot of people around us think that the greatest thing in life is to get the greatest stuff and it's easy for us to get pulled into that and think well boy some of that stuff would be great (laughs) And, and, and lose the eternal perspective and, and, and who you have made us to be as your children, especially you want us to be glad and generous givers. And so, God, will you make us, will you make us a little bit more like your son, more like you? You've given us this inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ. And so may it be that we become like that. Help each of us individually, Lord, to, to think through and to know what generous uh, glad giving would look like for us, that you might be honored in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. God bless you.